0: What's up, good people? Welcome back to the Holy Shit Pod. This week, Sam, Katie, and I are talking about marriage equality, reading the Bible, and other gay things. It's Pride Month. What did you expect? As always, if you got questions, comments, or you just want to say hello, send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com. And with that, let's get right into it. All right, here we go. Here we go. You got your script pulled up?
1: I do, but here's the thing. I don't call it a program. What
0: do you call it?
1: I call it a bulletin
0: I don't call it a bulletin I call it a program
1: Right The bulletin is white church
2: Oh, then I was raised in the white church We call it a bulletin A lot of black churches
0: call it bulletins I call it a program
1: Oh, so don't read my message about people who call it a program are
0: stupid then So just invert it then
1: No, no, we can do it the way it is Okay I ain't saying that it's a program I don't say that
0: So Sam, you just say the opposite of whatever Katie says I swear to God, white people make me sick Right
1: but I wouldn't say it because I find it offensive to call it a program. It's not a performance.
2: You find it offensive. Why do people kill me with what would they be outraged about? Everything except
0: black people dying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm appalled that you are calling this a bulletin, a program. <laughs> uh, what is up, good people? I'm the host who introduces himself first, Brandon T. Maxwell, also known as the Holy Mother. You forgot a word on the end. I'm not doing that with you.
2: You ain't just the holy mother. You
1: the holy mother.
0: No, I'm just
2: playing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm the token white woman who typically goes second, Katie Ricks.
2: Hey,
0: Karen. And I'm the host with the most. I'm the best, so I'm always last. I'm Sam White. Whatever. Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the temple for all the saints and aints. Let's get right into today's church announcements.
1: If this is your first episode or if you're still confused about church announcements, each week we like to take some time to think about what's happening in the world. And in most churches, there's always a moment in the service where you pause to share announcements, also known as read the things in the bulletin out loud because nobody reads the fucking bulletin.
2: (laughs) I would swear you grew up in the South talking about bulletin. What is a bulletin? It's a program. Program. (laughs) I I don't know what's wrong. It's a program. Go get me one of them programs. Get me three of them
0: programs. I don't know. I belong to a bougie church, so we called it a bulletin. Hello. Can I get a bulletin?
1: (laughs) I was going to say a program is something you get when you go to a performance. Worship is not a performance. Have you been to the black church? Huh? Bring me a program.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying it's the work of the people. And it's also a performance. Let's be real. This is about to be a show. It's like, when is the choir singing? That's the only reason I came. I didn't come for the word.
1: <laughs> oh, wait. I'm like that now. Okay, program. <laughs> so
0: you have confirmed
2: that it's a bulletin in white church and it's a program in black church. Okay. Thank you.
1: All right. Never mind.
0: Let's get into today's church announcements. So, Support for same sex marriage has been steadily increasing since the Gallup poll first started asking the question in 1997. In the 1990s, support for same sex marriage was at just 27%. Recent reports suggest that support is at 70%. Who knew? I knew.
1: Yeah, I knew. I don't know. Maybe it's like trauma from coming out a while ago and going through the church. I think I only hang around the 30%. That's sad.
0: Uh, <laughs> Why do you inflict such harm on yourself all the time?
1: <laughs> right, exactly. I still got to find me a place where I can hang out with the 70%, I guess.
0: Well, I think the key is, it's support for same-sex marriage, not for gay people necessarily. So you can support same-sex marriage, but also not like homosexuals.
1: Okay, you're right. That makes sense. That's a good distinction. It does not make sense. It's a <laughs> distinction
2: that I understand, but it does not make sense. <laughs> Nothing makes
1: sense to me, but yes, you're right. It's something I understand.
0: Similar to support for gay marriage being on the increase, support for legalizing Marijuana, Jane, that sticky icky, has increased in the last few years. It's now up to 68%. Bullshit. You want your weed? I think it's bullshit why
2: support for marijuana has gone up. In the long run, it ultimately benefits everybody. I own stock in marijuana that's doing really good right now.
1: You own stock in marijuana?
0: Medical marijuana.
1: Yeah. I know you could buy stock, but I didn't know you could buy stock in marijuana.
0: We're going to revoke your white card because you're supposed to know shit like that. Because all that shit is also racialized. Right, right, right. It's racialized because white people are still on the marijuana now and they want people to be able to trade on it. But see, that's why
2: I'm upset because it's not just now, right? And it's not just marijuana. I, I remember watching a documentary some years ago called Cocaine Cowboys. I don't know if y'all ever watched that shit. But it is chronicling how the white folks who owned the planes and the boats who was bringing this shit over from Colombia, trafficking it in large quantities, millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff. Did a few years in jail, prison, got out, and now they're getting paid to make documentaries about it when low-level street dealers who were mostly black and brown were in prison for decades and sometimes life sentences. Right. And so now the support has gone up. There is no type of retribution for the harm caused in black communities, black families, yes. but white people still continue to legally get rich effectively marijuana for so long had a black face. And now it's slowly not having a a black face. As long as it can have a white face, they figure out some kind of way to make it acceptable. Opioid, they don't got a black face. That's why it's a public health crisis instead of a crime. Mm. That's bullshit.
1: I mean, I'm for the legalization of marijuana because we spend too much time on the ridiculousness of it. Three strikes and you're out and keeping people in jail for life. All these white folks are smoking it all the time and they're not getting caught.
2: I'm all for legalization, but I'm also all for letting every single person who has been incarcerated or is still incarcerated out of jail and prison and having their records expunged for anything related to marijuana use or possession or distribution or trafficking
0: absolutely. And that would take action from the Supreme Court of the United States of America, which is probably not going to act on it. Last week, we asked the question about whether or not there was an openly gay justice. And I did a little research because I was making sure because I was certain that Elena Kagan was gay. And when I Googled Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, gay, nothing came up. So Elena whoever you pay to hide your search history is doing a really good job. <laughs> However, what I did find is that California... Elected the first openly gay justice last November. His name is Martin J. Jenkins. Martin J. Jenkins. He's also a black man. He definitely black with that name. That is black. Martin J. What you think the J stand for? Jerome. <laughs> Does it really stand
2: for Jerome? <laughs> I don't know. I would say Justin. It's Martin Justin Jenkins. Justin is still a fairly black
0: name. Martin Justin. He's black black. He got a black husband. I know. That's what I said. <laughs> I'm gonna see if they want to be our friends. Martin Jerome. <laughs> But no, in real life, I just wanted to follow that up because I think that it is significant. We need to celebrate these things. It is Pride Month. And so many times we hear about the challenging parts of what it means to be queer. We don't take the time to celebrate the good things like support for gay marriage going up, even among Republicans, like there being an openly gay black man serving on the state Supreme Court in California. And so I think it's really important for us to celebrate these
1: things. Absolutely. I will say, I still want to know about Elena Kagan because she, when she got onto the Supreme Court, she was like doing all these fancy things with all the different justices. And then she went like shooting or hunting with Antonin Scalia. She was shooting? I guess that's what you do when you hunt. I mean, maybe they're a bow hunter. <laughs> She probably the (laughs) one that killed his ass.
0: Didn't he die hunting? I think he died like in his sleep. Wasn't he hunting when he died though? No, he was not hunting when he died. He was on a hunting trip when he died. It just happened to happen in his sleep. Oh. No,
1: that was Dick Cheney, wasn't it?
0: Dick Cheney's alive. Oh, oops. (laughs) Oops. You shot somebody. No, Dick Cheney is the one who shot somebody. He shot somebody. You're right.
1: Like, that guy's right in front of me. Let me check my gun. I think
0: he shot somebody in the face. Right. <laughs> Antonin Scalia was with members of a secretive society of elite hunters when he died. The elite hunting group linked to Antonin Scalia is a true knightly order in the historical tradition, according to its website. First of all, this sounds like some racist shit, some KKK shit. It definitely is. And Elena went out there with him to assassinate him in secret. Elena
2: did not go out there with him. <laughs> He was in the bed when he died. He wasn't. So when you said he was hunting, I thought you was like, he was like out hunting. And you know, like somebody accidentally shot him or something.
1: But Elena Kagan says she hasn't been married. She voted for same-sex marriage uh, when it came up. And so I would bet my toaster oven.
0: Next church announcement. The gross income of the U.S. box office exceeded $100 million over Memorial Day weekend. This is the first time that the box office has exceeded $100 million since the start of the pandemic. So it seems like people are going back to the movies.
1: I ain't going to a movie theater, but we've established that.
0: I certainly
2: wish I had bought some AMC stock when it was $2 because it's like $56 now. And it was like $2 in
0: April. Enough about stocks. I'm sorry. Sam, you seem to be really focused on finances.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make this money. What would you about to say, Katie? you about to say something about me selling weed, damn racist-ass woman.
1: No, I was going to talk about cannabis stock and AMC stock.
0: <laughs> you got to have a diversified portfolio.
1: That's right. That's diversified. So this
0: is just yet another sign that things are getting back to normal in the United States. And by normal, I mean a post-pandemic reality wherein people who aren't Republicans are going outside, attending movies, and eating at restaurants without their masks.
2: But you know, it's really difficult to eat at a restaurant with your mask on. I'm just going to put that out there.
1: Yeah, I hear. We went to a restaurant for the first time um, up in Wisconsin. We sat outside on the deck. My daughter's not fully vaccinated yet. And so um, that felt okay. But I mean, we sat obviously without our masks outside, but that felt like what I could do. You have always got to go to your own level of comfort. But
0: will you go to the movies?
1: The reality is, I didn't go to the movies back in the day. Anyway, the last movie I saw was Black Panther in a movie theater.
2: The last movie you saw in the theater was Black Panther. You so white. The last movie I saw was Black Panther. T'Challa. And then I, before that was Forty Years a Slave. <laughs> or Seventeen Years. Twelve. Twelve, 12 years <laughs> a slave. Yeah. Make sure you put that f u in because they think Katie
0: don't say stuff. <laughs> Any more church announcements from the congregation? No more church announcements for me.
1: This isn't really necessarily a church announcement, but yesterday Jordan and I were driving um, and we stopped at a rest area in Wisconsin and they were flying a pride flag. I mean, those fools can't vote real people into office, but they were flying a pride flag along with the... Wisconsin flag, the Pride flag, the U.S. flag, and the POW. And, and a
2: Black Lives Matter flag.
1: No, 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 Black no, Lives Matter. No Black Lives Matter. Ooh, it's Wisconsin. They only have a couple of Black people in Wisconsin.
2: Say one one marginalized class at a time. We'll accept gay folks this this generation and black folks the next.
1: I think that might be... Be real optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> optimistic. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm not sure. Well, that
0: seems like a good spot for a break. And when we come back, we're going straight into the word of POD for the people of POD. Thanks be to POD. And today's topic is gay marriage. Smoking that dog. Sipping that weed Gang-bangin' Gang-bangin' This took a turn. Young heard that song. That's Smokey Norfolk's... Uh, not Smokey Norfolk. Smokey Robinson's new song. <laughs> Boy! <laughs> <laughs> it's Smokey Robinson's testimony. It's not new. It's actually quite old. But it's his testimony. He was talking about he used to be a gang-banger. He's a smoking that sipping that weed
2: His voice too soft to take a... Uh to take that
1: seriously. Gang banging. He's singing it. He's
0: saying gang banging. Like, why is he singing it so soft? That's not believable.
1: I'm confused. How do you sip weed?
0: Welcome back from that quick break. We are now into the word of Pod for the people of Pod. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book.
2: Open floodgates heaven. All right, I'm done. You sure? Let it rain. Tell them where you want them to open the Bible to. Open where we open in the Bible. Open the Bible. Open your Bibles. Thank you. Open your Bible to the book of Obergefell. A burger fail. I
0: was making two burgers in a burger fail. Open your Bible to the book of Obergefell versus Hodges. <laughs> During the church <laughs> announcements, we talked about just how much America loves gay marriage, which may or may not translate into love of actual real life gay people. Recent research does suggest that support for same sex marriage reached a whopping 70% this year, with support among Republicans reaching over 50% for the first time since marriage equality became the standard in 2015. This represents a drastic shift in public perception concerning gay marriage, and quite frankly, I'm a bit surprised by it all. Mostly because support for organizations and movements that support the flourishing of black people, like Black Lives Matter, has fallen in recent months. It's on the decline. What do you make of this?
1: I wonder, it, it's probably more complicated than this, but I wonder if it's not because white folks are in relationship with gay folks. They People are coming out there in their families, these Republicans who are okay with gay marriage now, their nieces, their nephews, their children. So they're in relationship with people who are gay, but they're not in relationship with people who are black. Shocker. I know. I <laughs> know.
2: I think it goes beyond being in relationship. I think it's the ability to claim for themselves an identity. And I feel like because white people can claim for themselves the identity of being gay, but white people cannot claim for themselves the identity of being black. And if they could, or if there was some phenomenon that was turning white people black all across the nation or white children black, you would have a totally different uh, response to black people and black issues. Because it would then be an identity. It would then be something that they could experience personally. I mean, there are white people in relation with black people. I mean, Rachel Dolezal tried to start that trend. But y'all got mad at her. They can't do it. I ain't say they won't try to do it. There's a lot of them that try to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of marrying the black families and they think that they black. You ain't black. And the ones you should trust know that. Right. No matter how many times you give them a license or a pass, they'd be like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope, can't do that, a.k.a. Karen, Teresa Ricks.
2: Yeah, I appreciate Karen, because she she knows. If she didn't know, we'd tell her, but she knows. You tell me even when- Even though you do know, yeah, because we don't want you to forget. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony.
2: Yeah, of our testimony. Uh-huh. You better
0: know your scripture. I was raised in the church. Hey, my gosh, kai. I tell I you y- y- i my, my sake. Ah, oh, glory. Katie, speaking a tongue.
1: No chance of that. I'm so
0: sorry. I hope you can get delivered from
1: that. <laughs> well, I want to say, but the easiest one for me is just stop.
2: I don't know what
0: that is. That's baby tongues. That's what she said. But so what's intriguing to me about all this is people can be in relationship with gay folks more easily. Everybody got a gay cousin, a lesbian auntie, a gay dad who divorced their mother. And so there are all these relationships that form. And that makes the political perspective and the cultural mindset change. But yet and still, there's this red elephant in the room. And that's that a lot of people have relied on Christian scripture in order to substantiate their hatred of gay people. Now, the Bible don't tell you to hate black people, do it? It talks about slaves, but black people didn't start off as slaves in spite of what American history wants to teach us. The Bible don't tell you to hate slaves. Help the people, Pastor. Help the
2: people. I just think the problem is white people. Well. They have been the problem. They are the problem, and they will continue to be the problem. That's right. And and, and not because, not by virtue of their whiteness. When I say whiteness, whiteness as defined by the lack of pigmentation in their skin whiteness as defined by um this this a political mindset political mindset and oppressive thought and that's what's problematic it's just it's just unfortunate that it's also associated with the color of their skin
1: right and they, that's because they've taken what they need to happen they 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 need to have free labor they need to have money and all of this so they conflate that with oh here's slaves slaves are in the bible people had slaves okay, now we need to create this way of making them not even second-class citizens, but not human. And so they're conflating all of those together. So even theologically, you can go with, well, maybe God did create this person gay. I mean, maybe God did do that.
0: But to this point, what is it that the Bible, your sacred text, or your faith tradition, actually teach you about marriage? Because a lot of what I believe we say about marriage isn't really in anybody's book.
2: Oh, the Bible is right. But it's wrong. Come on, Katie. <laughs> you better know Katie.
1: <laughs> Katie gonna hang
0: around us a little too long and she
2: gonna know everything. Listen. The question is, what does the Bible say about marriage or what does the Bible say about gay marriage? Marriage. Marriage okay the bible the bible says ah uh, let me try to focus on what i was taught the bible said right even before i knew what the bible said right what we were taught that the bible said was that marriage was between one man and one woman. That's what we were taught. And it was a sacred, holy institution. Uh-huh. And God hated the putting away. So once you was married, you was married forever. Divorce wasn't even an option. Right. You know, you got to forgive that lying, cheating, abusive, uh, crazy man that might kill you. Right. That's what we were taught.
1: Yes. I mean, those are the same things I was taught. I mean, I'm not even sure they focused on one man and one woman. It's like, that's the only thing that's defined as marriage. And you don't divorce. I think my next statement about that is, I think they count on us not reading the Bible because the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Well, the Bible does
0: say that-ish. Right. But you have to interpret it in order to make it say that. That's the key, right? Correct. So people engage in interpretive work in order to make the Bible say that marriage is between one man and one woman. So they'll go back to Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. People will utilize the creation narrative in order to start talking about what God's vision of marriage is. They'll go to scriptures that talk about marriage in very heteronormative ways. If you don't know what heteronormativity is, it is making normal normative standard that which is heterosexual. And so you get wives be submissive to your husbands as unto the Lord. There's all these scriptures that do talk about marriage in the context of a heterosexual relationship with one man and one woman. But what you have to erase to get that is every other image of marriage that is present in the Bible wherein you got concubines and multiple wives and women being property.
1: Right. Or David, who rapes a woman and then has her husband killed so that he can take her as his wife. That's all over the Bible. And these are important people in the Bible. And David was even a homosexual with Jonathan. Like, David was bi and a whore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was in the Apocrypha. That's that part they cut out. You
2: can't start by talking about how people take interpretive liberties for some stuff and (laughs) just be like, David was fucking Jonathan in the (laughs) cave. I mean, they they was dancing in front of each other naked, though
0: when i dance in front of my husband naked that only leads to one thing <laughs> <laughs> that was a special relationship like they was like they was more than friends oh they was definitely more than friends let's get that crystal clear i mean i haven't danced naked in front of a lot of people in my life and In the rare instance that I have, it's always led to some more than friendly activity in every case.
1: This is the complexity of it. David did horrible things, but God still kept David around. David was still the chosen one and is part of the lineage, just like Rahab's part of the lineage. And the reality is when you look at the Bible, you've got Abraham who has concubines and throwing out...
0: Hagar and Ishmael.
1: Yes, and then you have David raping people and having their, wife, their husbands killed.
0: Oh, we got a real preacher today.
1: You've got all of this. And so what we're taught doesn't match the- uh, the, the complexity. The complexity, but the foremothers and forefathers or four siblings or four parents, I don't know what you're supposed to say, that like these are the pillars of our faith and they aren't actually living into these expectations that the church teaches us.
0: Absolutely not. And I think that's the thing that I'm trying to wrestle with today, right? We are at a place where culturally there is this affirmation or acceptance of gay marriage while there are still these theologies, theories, perspectives that exist alongside that affirmation that do harm to gay folks. If we actually read scripture, there wouldn't be one uniform narrative around marriage And so if we approach scripture understanding that there's nuance there and we don't try to explain or interpret that away, but we utilize that to inform our lives, then that's where the real work is. But so many times when we do have these sort of deviant or variant expressions of sexuality, we work to explain them away. We interpret it away by saying all that was in the Old Testament. All that happened before Jesus. Once Jesus came, the standard for marriage was X because Paul gets to define everything then. And we don't have to look at any of the other images in scripture. Well, that's not what Jesus said. You have to make an interpretive move in
1: order to make that claim. Absolutely. And well, and think about Jesus wandering around the desert with 12 and more unmarried men and all these women around him. We don't even have examples from Jesus and Jesus's time about what marriage is. We only hear about Mary and Joseph and we hear about Paul and his craziness. So we don't get an example in the New Testament about what marriage is supposed to be unless I'm missing it.
0: Jesus walking right here in a pride parade. (laughs) Walking right here in a pride parade with 12 men and y'all want to act like we can't march.
2: And let me tell you, if y'all listening to Paul, because if Paul was alive today, Mm -hmm. spouting the shit today that he was spouting then, we would say he was crazy. That shit. If Paul was saying the world is about to end, probably in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Don't have, as a matter of fact, don't have no sex. And if you got to have it, then get married and then have it in that way. But but don't have no segment. Wives, the women are a distraction. All this shit gets you to sell all that you got. You don't need none of this shit because the world, in the end, we would call Paul crazy, out of his mind, insane. And so now, how is that the foundation for our Christian doctrine?
1: And when we talk about homosexuality in Paul, the reality is that what Paul is talking about is not what exists now. So he was talking about all of these temples where older men are are having sex with young boys. Pedirasty. But of course, we should have been complaining about that, right? I mean, Paul should have been talking about that. And
0: we still should. When the priest is fucking the acolyte, we need to have an issue with that.
1: And when the pastor is, the Protestants are always really clear about attacking the Catholics, but we're passing people from one Presbytery to the next, and they're um, abusing children all over the place. But that's another story. Make it personal. My point is, that's what people do is they go, okay, well, we can drop out all the other passages in the Bible that, talk about homosexuality we can explain those away but you got to deal with romans and i'm like paul was talking about stuff that doesn't exist today paul wasn't talking about marriage between two people who love each other that's not what paul was talking about
0: and since you're citing paul let's go down the list of all the other clobber passages that clobber yes clobber beat people across the head literally beat people up with scripture these are the scriptures that people use to justify their bigotry, their homophobia, and their heteroaggression. People always go to Genesis chapter 19 to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. People always go to Leviticus and the Holiness Codes in Leviticus 17 through 26. People always go to 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. They always go to Romans chapter 1 verses 26 and 27, and they try to use those verses of scripture to to substantiate their hatred. But if you want to take Paul that literally, you have to look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where he says, know ye, and I'm reading from the King James Version because if you want to be ignorant and be that steadfast to scripture, I'm going to only read from the King James Version because that's the only one that you can read and have that bigoted view. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. And he doesn't say homosexuals first, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, And in the King James, it says the effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind. So can the homo thugs inherit the kingdom of God? Because I love a good homo thug. They ain't effeminate. But my point is, there are all these verses of scripture from which people like to cherry pick to prove a point without taking into account a wide range of factors like the cultural context of the scripture, the cultural context of the writer the historical time period at which the scripture was written, the cultural context of the people about whom or to whom the scripture is speaking. Yep. And that too is an interpretive choice. Now I would call it an ignorant interpretive choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And if that is how you are going to choose to read scripture, then I would contend you aren't actually reading it. So don't try to act like people who choose to make different interpretive choices aren't reading the text. They are just reading it differently. And the sooner that people who cherry pick scriptures to gay bash people and call it love, the sooner that they acknowledge that they too are interpreting scripture, the better off all of us will be. But I've said enough.
1: And what you're saying is that homosexuality didn't even show up in the Bible until about the, or anywhere until about the, was it 1960s or something like that? Sure,
0: let's go with that.
1: It didn't happen until
0: we needed to start putting down the gay people. And so all we're trying to say is that if you want to make an interpretive move with scripture, why not jump through the theological hurdle of being inclusive and being loving? Why not jump through the flaming ring that allows you to love your son, that allows you to love your daughter, that allows you to love your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your granddaddy? your grandmama, your non-gender binary sibling. Why don't you spend all of that energy for the sake of love? So let's take another quick pause to decenter heteronormativity and whiteness within ourselves, and we encourage you to do the same. When we come back, we will shift our attention to focus more explicitly on the relationship between our political discourse on same-sex marriage and our religious convictions. And of course, we can't leave you without a little invitation to life more abundantly. Stick around. We'll be right back after this brief pause.
1: I'm confused. How do you sip weed? You know how you hold a straw? Oh, that's sipping. Okay. You know how you hold a straw? I don't hold one, but yeah, okay.
0: Do you know how you hold your
1: recyclable, reusable straw? (laughs) (laughs) I don't hold it when I use it, though. Are you supposed to hold it? Some
0: people do. I'm surprised you don't.
1: You put it in the cup the way it's supposed to go and then you don't have to touch it that's the whole point of not having to touch things
0: thank you karen thank you karen
2: smoking that dough. now you got now you got the song in my head you
0: know uh <laughs> welcome back from that quick break as we prepare to take our seat And only the Black Baptists will understand what that really means. But as we prepare to take our seats, I'd want to focus in on the sort of progression of American politics as it relates to gay marriage. As a disclaimer, I do think an issue for me is that so much of the struggle for gay rights has been focused on marriage. And I think there's a way in which marriage, monogamous marriages between two individuals are still problematic for individuals who don't identify with that sort of heteronormative Western American uh, way of being in relationship with another human. But that is another conversation for another day. But I find it intriguing that so much of the struggle for gay rights has been focused on getting the same thing as heterosexual people. I'm not someone who says that marriage should have ever been the only focus of LGBTQ folks and that there are other sorts of justices that we needed to be fighting for all along and still need to be fighting for today. But I do want to focus on the fact that so much of what's happened has been a political and or legal battle in the American so-called justice system.
1: The interesting thing for me personally is I never thought about Marriage as something religious or something civil. Like I, I, had conflated them all the time. But when I couldn't get married civilly in 2001, I realized that the religious ceremony for me was more important. That you know that didn't let me in to see my partner in the hospital. That doesn't protect me from capital gains tax when people get when people die. That doesn't protect me from or that doesn't allow me to have social security benefits or tax benefits. All of that. But I think it's important for us to look at what do we think of as the religious ceremony and what do we think of as the civil ceremony. For so long, those two things have been brought together. And for me, that was when they separated. And I could look at one as a civil thing and one as a faith thing. I don't know if that makes sense to y'all.
2: It's hard for me to separate them in the two ways that Katie just described. To me, they're inextricably linked, and this is why the state or the government actually has granted religious preachers, pastors, folks the right to acknowledge and to perform marriages. And they acknowledge a marriage, if I, as a pastor, perform a marriage, the government says, I acknowledge this as a valid institution and bestow upon it all the benefits that the government recognizes. And so when I, when I recognize that it's inextricably linked in that way, I think I realized I probably around the same time, like 2011, I said, no, no, no. If the government is going to acknowledge this institution, you cannot define it as just being between a man and a woman. I hear what you're saying, Katie, but it was hard
0: for me to to separate them in those two ways because we have not done that as a society. I mean, and also getting married for the sake of love is a recent convention. Like that's that's a 20th century convention where people get married because they find one another and they love each other. There's always been financial benefits to people getting married, and even in the American context. To your point, Sam, there's at least 10 benefits that uh, married folks get that single folks don't. There's the marital tax deduction. There's uh, the ability to file your taxes jointly. There's Social Security benefits. There's prenuptial agreement benefits, IRA benefits, legal decision-making benefits. There's health insurance, paternity. There's so many benefits that married folks get. And when you think about it that way, it's not just about this sort of, I want to be able to celebrate this love that I have with this person, but it's also as a result of this love, I want these other legal benefits that everybody else gets.
1: Yeah, I wasn't saying that it's not significant. I think, and maybe that's not, I don't know if that's what you're hearing. I'm just saying that there are two different things and those benefits are significant and important. And that's why marriage should be legal. For me as a pastor, I have wrestled with whether or not I should be performing marriages on behalf of the state or if i will say you go to the judge and have them perform the marriage that is the state's and i will perform the marriage that is the religion so
2: basically you would just do the ceremony you would just speak the words but you wouldn't put your signature on the certificate is what you're saying
1: i mean i haven't done that i've i've done marriages but but i but that's where i wrestle with it because I'm performing marriages on behalf of a state that would not recognize mine if I were married. So that's where I wrestle. So in some
0: ways you've put the cart before the horse because one of the first things that I wanted to acknowledge was the constitution says nothing about marriage. In the same way that if you look in Christian scripture, you don't see much about marriage and you don't see anything about gay marriage and about gay people having faithful, committed relationships with one another. If you look in the constitution, there also is nothing present. And so really it is only our religious beliefs that have ever informed our civil perspectives about marriage. And even though it's not in the Constitution, there is a way in which justices on the state level and the Supreme Court level have had things to say about marriage for years to come. We're going to link a few articles in the show notes that will give you that history. We won't recount that here. But because judges interpreted the Constitution, right? If there's a void in the Constitution or there's a void in the Bill of Rights, judges have a responsibility To either take what's there and make meaning out of it, which sets a future legal precedent that does, in fact, create a law, even though that's not the function of the judicial branch of the government. And maybe it's an accident.
1: Well, it is an accidental. But B, civilly, people should be afforded these benefits. But the religious backing or the religious upbringing or the religious moral majority or what have you has said, this is what marriage is, which is very different than what the the state has no business defining marriage as a man and a woman. The religious community has done that. And that is where church and state have not been separate. And those are separate things.
0: Mmm, allegedly. (laughs) Because the wall that separates church and state is a porous wall, at best. And in actuality, I'd say it's the equivalent of the fence that Donald Trump said he was building during the last four years of his presidency. But I don't want to pull that thread today, at least not fully. So I'll just say that ideally, yes, Ricks, there is a separation between the church and the state, however, comma, the church always meddles in the affairs of the state. And the state also meddles in the affairs of the church. It's always been that way. So with gay marriage specifically, the constitution was silent. So that created the opportunity for local governments to create their own laws that perhaps at a certain time reflected the will of the majority of the people they were elected to represent. And as they were creating laws and lower courts were interpreting those laws, legal precedent was being established more deeply ingrained those bad or unjust laws that were rooted in conservative religious idealism into the fabric of our society. Even the bad
2: legislation is necessary so that it could be challenged in certain ways legally. So even the early, when you talk about the earlier legislation, when we had people who were homophobic that were passing legislation, I think what you get when people kept sending stuff back to the lower courts Um, it's because there wasn't enough. The courts were saying it is not our job to define or to create a law to establish a certain thing. This is a local municipality. Once they started to legislate and pass these horrendous laws, that's when people can bring lawsuits and says, wait a minute, this violates my equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Wait a minute, this violates this. And and so then you begin to see arguments in 2011 and in, in, in the early Obama administrations and then even Obama began to say the government will no longer defend the Offensive Marriage Act. And so the bad legislation actually on some level was necessary for us to get to some of the
0: advancements that we actually can pass good legislation. So, Sam, in light of what you just said, what I'm looking at is the fact that there are processes by which we create laws and there are processes by which we challenge those laws. And that we as a society and the world and a community engage in the shared work of interpreting things in a manner that is supposed to lead to the flourishing of additional human life. Now, that process breaks down all the damn time. Nevertheless, there's something about at least gay marriage that has allowed this communal vetting process to take place wherein people have challenged unjust laws. What's the process in the church? Like, what is the process by which people engage in the communal work of interpretation? Where we challenge bullshit and where we outline stuff that's more liberative and more life-giving even within denominations like the PCUSA that have processes, even when the denomination speaks as the PCUSA, there are still churches who make choices that are different than what the denomination has said.
1: Well, yeah, that's what I I mean. I was thinking about the PCUSA. What I learned um, when I was serving in a governing body of a presbytery, which is a regional area of Presbyterian churches, is um, they were talking about something that had happened at General Assembly. And so I naively said, well, General Assembly has already ruled on this. This is what we're going to do. And the whole room almost burst out in laughter. They're like, we don't listen to what the General Assembly says. I was like, oh, wait, uh, you have just dismantled everything that I thought this church was, this polity was. So even in a denomination that's not congregational, right? The Presbyterian Church makes most decisions that are universally accepted, but there's opt-out for the ordination of LGBTQ people, that is an opt-out thing. Presbyteries don't have to approve that. One Presbytery can allow it and another Presbytery doesn't have to follow it. They don't have to ordain people. The same is true with the marriage too. When the Supreme Court ruled, the pastors had the ability to do it if they wanted to. The sessions could say, no, the sessions still today aren't hiring pastors if they say they're going to perform a same-sex marriage. And that is determining whether or not they're even selected to continue in the process. So I'd be interested to hear how it happens more congregationally because the larger denominations, it it doesn't mean anything. Y'all sound
0: Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I think the reality is, and this is what's so intriguing, and this is why I will always say that the primary religion that people practice in the United States is American exceptionalism because there's something about the United States and the way that it was constructed that is able to withstand all of these debates. So we have a denomination right now, the United Methodist Church, that has just lived through some of the most tumultuous years of its history The whole denomination is about to split based on LGBTQ folks. Baptists who didn't want to be blatantly conservative and blatantly hateful Broke off from the SBC to start the CBF. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, since like the Council of Nicaea and all these other councils in history, there's this fracturing that has occurred that I think has relinquished the church of any sort of true power or authority it ever could have had.
1: Because people just break off. To do what the
0: fuck they want to do. Right. Catholics can't do that. Martin Luther did it. He was the last one.
2: (laughs) 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 They ain't doing it no more. Well, I'm not sure that, I
1: mean, they just just do whatever they want to. I mean, that's the thing. They still remain... Catholic, but you've got some churches that will serve communion to non-Catholics and some that won't. Uh,
0: I guess what I'm saying is, can you imagine the United States that it fractured and splintered just as much as church denominations throughout time?
1: I mean, I'm intrigued why we continue to even be able to remain a country of 50 states. But I will say in the Presbyterian church, what has kept, well, in the PCUSA, because there's about a trillion Presbyterian churches we've been breaking off from the beginning, is money. We got a great pension program. The people, like property, the Presbyterian church owns the property. So, if you want to, so we've got churches on millions and millions of dollars worth of land. They're not leaving the church because then they'd lose their property. So, we've got a pension. If they leave the denomination, they lose a pretty darn good pension. So, the only thing that's kept us together is money. I mean, that's not anything theological or loving or united in the Holy Spirit. But I wonder about the country, how we stay together.
0: It's money. And to further last week's conversation about the corporatization of pride, I do think there's a way in which corporations and congregations are trying to find a way to signal something to queer folks. And it isn't necessarily the case that they're interested in signaling that this is a community of care for queer people. But I think it's about signaling to LGBTQIA plus folks that it is okay to spend your money here. Every time I see a rainbow on the Walgreens logo or the Costco logo or the Zillow app, what I believe it's trying to say is we take homosexual dollars too. And sadly, I read the same thing when I see a banner that says, all are welcome on the front of a church. Because for many congregations, That's just an attempt to signal that they're willing to take gay dollars. But when churches decide where they want to fall, it oftentimes has to do with the theological perspective or personal experience of the highest tithing members in that community. It has nothing to do with Jesus, but everything to do with the pastor's salary and making sure that those top tithers continue to fund the business. I don't care if you have a sign that says all are welcome on the front of your church. Has your congregation wrestled with what it means to perform weddings for same-sex couples? I know you'll take my dollars. I know you'll take my tithe. But will you marry me and my same-sex partner? If the answer is no, then I'm not actually welcome. So to bring this all full circle and perhaps to a close, I think that the United States is able to stay together because it makes the most financial sense for it to do so. And sadly, churches don't have that same sort of financial bargaining power. Neither are they bastions of integrity, love, and morality. Churches have always been willing to sell their souls to the highest bidder, and perhaps it's the case that some churches have become the places in which people inculcate themselves from the things they fear the most. It's a capitalist sub-economy or a counter-community of sorts. If this is what the world is doing, if this is what the primary capitalist society is doing, we need a place to inculcate ourselves from the gay agenda, from Lil Nas X, from the holy shit pod. We've put a lot of threads today, um, and I don't think there's a neat way to wrap this particular conversation, but sometimes in life, it's about questions and conversations, not answers. So I'm going to resist the urge to attempt to wrap this up with a bow. And perhaps that's part of my heteronormative, capitalist, patriarchal formation that tells me every episode or conversation needs to be concluded in that fashion. So let's just go straight into invitations. Karen, Samuel, what y'all got?
2: I think you should go first since we're decentering um, whiteness and heteronormativity. That's fair. that's fair. I like how you did
0: that. I see what you did there. Um, I think my invitation for today is... I've probably said it before, but I don't know if it can ever be said enough. Think critically. Think critically. If you've listened to today's conversation and you're sitting here at the end of the word of pod with more questions than answers, that's okay. I think part of the spirit of this podcast is to stop trying to provide and or dictate to people answers to questions. Because I think some of the most faithful people that I know are those who ask good questions. And those are Christians, those are Muslims, those are agnostic and atheist people as well. But they ask good questions and they refuse simple textbook Sunday school answers. And so the invitation is to think critically because those of you who identify as Christian, your scripture, your sacred text says that transformation comes by the renewing of your mind. So think critically.
1: This may be similar to what you said, Brandon, but I think understanding the deep complexity of everything, read the texts that people are telling you, read your Bible, read the Constitution, listen to what other people are saying. There aren't easy answers. Everything is more complicated than it appears. I mean, this is exactly what you're saying, but that was my invitation as well. (laughs) If someone is telling you, oh, this is the right answer, there is never a situation where something is 100% correct except two plus two. listen, read, reach out to folks to listen to their story and hear their perspective, not judgmentally, but with the desire to learn and deepen your knowledge and the I knowledge of someone text, that you're talking y'all. to.
0: I heard us say read the text.
2: I'm going to follow up on Katie. Pastor Rod partially would say on TBN, which I, I haven't watched fast. in decades. Rob Parsons would say, you can't just read your Bible, you got to read your Bible. So I echo the words of Katie to not just read your Bible and take that surface level understanding or interpretation that was given to you by your Southern Baptist pastor, but actually uh, understand context, complexity, understand the nuances that exist in scripture, problems that exist in scripture. The challenges that exist in scripture and how they inform our own faith and what problems does that present for the type of Christians we are and the the type of faith that we live out in this world. And I think that's my invitation to you. If you are Christian and you're listening, if you're a person of any faith, to challenge those holy texts that define your faith and, and search for the problems, knock holes in it. See if it's integral. See if it can withstand your own challenges and
0: questions. Because uh, if you're not doing that, you're and just a you sheep. And if you knock holes in it and I'm that doing. results in the boat sinking, we invite you to jump out the boat. Because the reality is it's sinking boat. anyways. It's sitting there plugged with it's paper sinking. towels and some little corks, hmm. some old wine corks. And,
1: and it's church sinking thing? anyway. Uh, so go ahead and knock that shit out and get out the boat. Get out. And it extends beyond church documents too, right? I mean, like nowadays in the midst of all the chaos with the news and what is real, I find myself going to the, what did people say? Show me a transcript. So if you're not a person of faith or a faith that has some holy text, the same is true for laws. The same is true for the news and what people are saying. What Katie's trying to tell y'all is read the
2: Constitution. Ain't nobody finna read
1: no Constitution,
2: but read the Constitution. Know what your Constitution says.
1: But listen when they t- when you listen to Fox News or even MSNBC, say what somebody said. Go back to what somebody said. We can find that on the internet right now. Don't listen to somebody else's interpret. I mean, listen to it, but then go find out for yourself what you experience, and then talk to somebody else because. So many people sitting in their
0: Katie, own say heads I feel trying my help to create Yes, you do. I feel and my help coming. <laughs> <laughs> what I hear Katie trying to say is <laughs> the church ain't the only group indoctrinating people. Fox News is indoctrinating people. MSNBC is indoctrinating people. CNN is indoctrinating people. The Democratic Party is indoctrinating people. The Biden administration is indoctrinating people. They're not the only people engaged in that work
2: vet your information uh what i also hear katie is saying
1: you trust people too much sam
2: bullshit i don't trust people (laughs) (laughs) you must not know me i don't trust people i just know which people to not trust more (laughs) (laughs) i also hear katie saying vet information like so it, it might not even be that people are setting out to indoctrinate you it's that you heard some random shit or saw something on facebook and you have accepted that as gospel. And it is not. And it was never intended to be. Vet your information. Do your research. Find out if it's the truth, if it's factual, if it's accurate.
1: So what I'm hearing you all saying is that we really shouldn't trust other people. So if we were going to give you homework, our
0: homework would be the next time you're listening to our podcast or anybody else's podcast, actually click the links in the show notes and do your own homework. Don't even trust what we're saying because we all got perspectives and opinions too and we're not here to indoctrinate you. Read the text. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and Aints. We are grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on the Holy Shit Pod. Listen, one of the things that we love the most is connecting
2: with you, our listeners. Send an email to theolabmedia.com to connect with us, ask a question, submit a discussion topic, or just say hello.
1: As you know, we believe word of mouth is the best way to spread the good news about the Church of Holy Shit. So take five seconds to share this episode with a friend who needs to laugh or that relative who needs to be challenged.
2: And if you're listening in Apple Podcast or any other podcast app that allows you to submit ratings, please leave an honest rating and a review of no less than five stars. That just <laughs> that's just another helpful way to send us feedback and we appreciate it.
1: And if you're feeling generous, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Theolab Media. And leave us a little love offering in the offering basket.
0: All right, good people. We'll be back next week. And we'll be having a discussion submitted to us by a Holy Shit Pod listener out of Atlanta, Georgia. We're talking about pronouns and why they matter. We'll be in the same place at the same time. Until then, peace.
2: Wait in the water. Wait in the water, children. Wait in the water.
1: I hate you people. Who is you people? Did that sound better? That
0: sounded much worse. It sounded racist. Us black people? Right. <laughs> 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 I love how we both did the black people head. Like
2: uh, I need a response. God's gonna trouble the water.